God, thank you so much that you lead us to places where we cannot extract ourselves. I'm not quite sure why, God, but I know from the very beginning in in Genesis, the moment you give us joy and freedom is the moment that we begin to think that we have somehow attained it by our own efforts. And God, you just allow us to live in that deception for months, for years, sometimes for a lifetime. And then you bring us to that place where our own efforts are not sufficient, where our own strength gives out, where where our own even ability to think clearly, God, it gets muddled, where we have no place to go but, but to cry out in desperation, God, have mercy on me. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, that every time your children cry out to you, you hear and you respond. Oh, God, sometimes it's, it's, it's a woodshed. Sometimes you take us to that place where, where we can only grow through, through your loving discipline. But God, your desire is for us to be like you. Your desire is for us to know you. Your desire for us is to have everything we need, God, to flourish. And Holy Spirit, wash over us this morning, would you? Where there are areas of our life with clenched fists, we resist your grace, God. Where with clenched fists we refuse to receive the precious gift, God, of your presence, of your strength, of your answers. God, if there are areas of our lives where we're still resisting the very thing that would bring us life, Holy Spirit, break through, would you? God, if there are places of willing disobedience in our life, we know it. Um, it's very clear, not only have, as your word made it clear, but, but um, God, our own life experience has suffered as a result. And God, pour out your grace. Thank you that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Thank you that we can come to you exactly as we are right now. Where we can turn from our pride and our self-sufficiency. Where we can turn God from our sin and be welcomed back into your loving mercies. Oh God, thank you that your grace is sufficient for everyone who cries out to you in the name of Jesus. We have so many needs. God, I, I, I wanted to start by saying thank you. We, for two years plus, God, we've been through trial after trial, and you have proven yourself faithful. You have proven yourself glorious, God. And we have no reason to believe that anything is going to change no matter how difficult the circumstances around us are. So we just we just stop and say, you are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of glory, God. Glory and honor and power be to you, the only wise God. 
That God, it's because of who you are. That we have the confidence to come with people, with, with situations, with circumstances, God, that, that we find ourselves helpless in. Uh, and, and to believe, God, that you will prove yourself glorious through them. Yet even as we gather together in the presence of Jesus and the presence of your Holy Spirit, bring to, those things to mind, God. Grant us the courage to surrender them to you even now in the stillness of our own hearts. Thank you so much, God, that you care for your children and you give your children good things. You give us the air we breathe. You give us our daily bread, God. We love you. We thank you. And we offer to you, God, words, even when words fail to come, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sin as we forgive those who sin against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Mm. Open your, your Bibles, would you, or your phones, if you would, to the Word of God. We are in um, Matthew. Matthew chapter 15 is our primary text for today. There is a, a, a whole um, principle that... Um, that we will not deal with today, but that is very powerfully present in our text as well. And so we'll take another scripture after that and explore that principle together. But we are in Matthew chapter 15, and we are going to pick up the story in verse 21. I say that very intentionally because um, this scripture just didn't happen in isolation. It, It happened in the context that we'll talk about here in just a moment of of what was going on in the disciples' life at that time. But Jesus has been in Gennesaret. It's the upper northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee. And uh, he has been ministering to uh, his people in Galilee, but his people have not been receiving him. In fact, very recently he had been in Nazareth, not far away, and, and his own people rejected him in Nazareth. So we pick up the story now in verse 21. So Jesus went away from there, away from Galilee, away from Gennesaret, and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. That's about 40 miles to Tyre, about 60 miles from Gennesaret to Sidon. So it's a long journey. He took his disciples on a long journey it's across international borders. It's, it's no longer in 
the, uh, the land of Israel. It's in what was then the land of Syria, now uh, the land of Lebanon. But uh, he took them across international borders. And, and behold, there's that word, looky there, looky here. A Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Oh my goodness, there are so many radical things in that one sentence. But don't lose sight of the fact that this is not uh, an Israelite. This is a Canaanite. Um, and, and she cries out to Jesus. If that were not astounding enough, look at his response. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, send her away, for she's crying out after us. That could, that could mean a couple different things. It could mean just rebuke her, Jesus, and send her away. Or more likely, by, by Jesus' response, it could mean, would you just heal her, Jesus, right? So she'll stop following us, so she'll stop crying out. Send her away, they said, for she's crying out after us. Jesus answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. It's not like there are, this is the parable of, of, of the sheep and, and there's one lost sheep. He's talking about the whole nation of Israel who recently have rejected him, right? I was sent only to these lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's what makes me think that that the disciples are saying, heal her, answer her prayer, Jesus, so she'll stop bothering us. So Jesus says, excuse me, um, he says no can do, right? No can do. But she came and knelt before him. Same word that's used, by the way, for bowing in worship. She came and bowed before him, saying, Lord, help me. Again, Jesus answered, it's not right to take the children's bread and to throw it to the dogs. I'm letting that sit for just a second because that's what he said. And that just raises all kinds of issues for us, does it not? Wow. And yet, she said, yes, Lord. Apparently she did not go to college. She didn't learn how to fend for herself. She didn't have all these things beaten into her about how she needs to demand her rights, demand her rightful place, right? She agrees with him. She says, yes, Lord. Yet, or but, Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Right? And Jesus, Jesus answered her, Oh, woman, great is your faith. I'm just going to pick on the women for a second here, but wouldn't you love to hear that from Jesus? You would not want to hear the previous phrase, right? But wouldn't you love to hear that from Jesus? 
desperate, desperate women, wouldn't you love to hear the next thing that he says? Be it done for you as you desire. Matthew tells us, and her daughter, look at this, was healed. Remember, it was demon possession, right? Was healed instantly. The very word of God. Oh, thanks be to God. Wow. Wow. Let's unpack this together if we could. Uh, for some of you who might be joining us online or, or here in the sanctuary for the first time, we've been talking together over the last few weeks now about extraordinary prayer. Do you remember? We, we said at the very beginning that this is a couple senses of the word extraordinary. In the first sense, we mean unusually great. Let's learn how to pray unusually great prayers in scope, right? And the things that we pray for in frequency, how often we pray together. But especially for today, um, remember we said, but also in fervency. Let's not just randomly pray, wrote prayers that we are not invested in. Let's pray with fervency. I'm still, I have on my wrist, um, Riley Strong. <laughs> and I said earlier, it's so great to have an answer to prayer sitting in our congregation. We got several of them. And you might ask, well, didn't God, answer? yeah, he did twice, right? He, he has intervened twice and we're believing him for that, right? But I, I wear it on my wrist because it reminds me of how passionate I was in my prayer life at that moment, right? Um, how I cried out to Jesus, right? Do you remember those of you who've, who've served on one of our, what, 17 mission teams to Mexico when we prayed with the people in Mexico? How fervent they prayed, right? They were invested in it. If God did not answer their prayer, they could not move forward. It's a sense of this word that, that says with, with, with extraordinary fervency, right? Let's pray great prayers. Let's believe great things about God. But then I reminded you, too, that, that in, a, in another sense, it's just saying, let's move forward in our prayer time. Let's, let's take one step. It's, let's go one step beyond ordinary, right? Let's go extraordinary. Let's just go a little bit further. And wouldn't it be beautiful if the, the entirety of our lives was spent going one step closer to Jesus, right? It, at first, it might not seem like anything. It's like when you're following, I don't know why this is coming to my mind, you're following behind a truck that's trying to pass another truck, and you're going, oh, this is going to take 20 minutes, right? It's just little by little, right? But then all of a sudden, you look up just a couple minutes later, and there's huge distance between them, and you realize they really did move forward, right? Um, if we just take one step at a time, over time, we will look back. I keep looking at my hand because I was, after a week of, of quarantining, um, just because of exposure to, to COVID, and I, I've tested twice and don't have COVID, but just exposure to it, um, I was with my granddaughter, I think very quietly over there, and she might have escaped. She escaped. <laughs> okay. Um, if you see a little girl running around town, grab her for me, would you? But, um, I was looking at her hands, and I remembered when she was first born, she had piano player um, fingers, right? But I was looking at her hands, and I went, great Scott, in a week, 
Her little mittens have gotten huge, right? Is she like a puppy? Does she grow into her paws? I mean, um, but I thought, oh my goodness, in a week, in a week she's grown so so much, right? Um, Let's not underestimate what God can do one step at a time as we move closer to him little by little. You see, God God desires a deeper, more intimate relationship with us. And the primary, I'm speaking strongly, but the primary mechanism for communication to grow closer to God, really it's the primary mechanism for transformation is prayer. It's prayer. It's not all these other things. In fact, all those other things happen because of prayer, right? So two weeks ago, we recognized that if our world is going to change, it's going to change because the people of God are changed. Remember that? Second Chronicles 7.14. We saw that there were four conditions of transformation. It was the ability to see your true condition. Do you remember that? To pray extraordinary prayers. To turn from our sin to God and, and seeking to live in the presence of God. Last week, I... I challenge you, it's one thing to think of ourselves as the people of God, to understand and believe and live into the fact that change is going to happen first with the followers of Jesus, right? But then we saw also last week that that it's not just us as a people of God, but transformation begins in each one of us as a person, as a person as well. And so last week we prayed dangerous prayers, do you remember? Psalm 139, 23 and 24, we talked about praying for God to search me and to know my heart, right? Wow, to know my heart. We prayed to God to show me what I'm afraid of. We prayed for God to uncover our sins, right? We prayed right as we closed out. Make me like Jesus, God. That's a dangerous prayer because we know what happened to Jesus, right? To say, make me like Jesus is to say, let me follow in the dust of my rabbi. Let me follow my Savior wherever that path will lead. So together, so far, we've challenged ourselves to pray extraordinary prayers, even dangerous prayers. But while each of these kinds of prayers are born out of our experiences, they're not something we normally would spontaneously run to on our own, right? Yet each of us created in God's image. And I say that because even those of us who don't yet know Jesus, all of us are created in God's image. But each of us, because of that, are prone, when push comes to shove, to cry out to God. Even if it's the simple prayer. Did you ever do that? Is anybody out there? I don't know if you're real or not, but if you are real, here's my desperate prayer, right? Call them foxhole prayers. I remember a ripe age of 14 or 15, testimony of a man in the Vietnam War who prayed. I know it's cliche, a foxhole prayer. God, if you will deliver me, if you will deliver me, I will live for you, right? And and I met him a few years after that 
And, and you know what God did with his life? You know what he did? Greg, if you're watching, you're going to be laughing. He, he made him a meter maid. He, he, he would check, he would check the, the, um, the meters. You know, the guys that come into your yard scare you half to death because they're checking the thing in the front yard. Um, that's what he did. Wow, thanks, God. Uh, you know, I'm living for you. But you know what? Greg was a faithful meter maid. He was faithful in that. And so when you're faithful to God, you do not stay where you are. And little by little, God elevated him in the electric company that he served. Eventually, he became uh, a teacher. He became the principal of a Christian school. Eventually, he touched thousands of lives for the kingdom of God. Because in a foxhole somewhere in Vietnam, he prayed a desperate prayer. Right? Wow. I'd like to pause in our study of the nature of prayer. We will go back. There's so much about prayer in the Word of God. We will go back and pick up other pieces over these next five weeks as we continue our study. But I want to pause right now in the study of the nature of prayer and look at the special kind of prayer. I want to look at foxhole prayers. I want to look at prayers that are desperate, right? And we've all done it. We've all been at that place where we cried out in desperation to God. Well, press pause with me. Let's look at this story. I, I uh, learned from Pauline, you know, uh, um, theological truths. They're wonderful stuff. We'll look at a couple of Paul's prayers together. Um, but I do a little bit better with story. I, I, when I see something happening, um, it, it makes an impact on my life. I want to look at a story of a woman uh, 60 miles from Jesus, probably 25 miles uh, even from, from the nation of Israel. I, I want to look at a story of a woman who prayed desperate prayers. To do that, we're going to have to look a little bit about the context of the prayers. We have to look a little bit about where this happens. We're not just going to pluck this, these few verses out of the middle of Matthew chapter 15 without recognizing that they're serving a greater purpose. Matthew put this story here because he wanted us to understand something larger. And, and the context for this story is a significant shift in the ministry of Jesus, right? It's a significant shift in Jesus' ministry. Those of you who might be taking notes, I apologize for not getting them on the screen this morning, but but we're engaged right here. You'll be able to follow pretty easily, I think. What am I talking about? Well, there's a pattern in Matthew chapter 14 that appears again in Matthew chapter 15. Something happened in this uh, 14th chapter of of Matthew that changed the way that Jesus was doing ministry. And, and uh, let me just suggest that, that one of those things that, that changed was there was ever increasing opposition to Jesus, right? Now, John the Baptist, his cousin, uh, the one who went before him and prepared the way for him has been arrested and ultimately he will be murdered, right? Um, there's increasing pressure from the Romans in general who fear destabilization. Herod himself, this is not the Herod of Jesus' Christmas story of the birth. This is one of his sons who is um, a mess. That was the polite word that I could think of quickly. He is a real mess, but he's in charge of the area 
um, uh, around the northern, northwest side of the Sea of Galilee, and he's seeking Jesus. And he will call Jesus in. So opposition is increasing. But it's increasing from within, too. It's increasing from the Jewish leaders. Right before our passage, uh, uh, Jews came up from Jerusalem, 60 or 70 miles away. They came up specifically to question Jesus, to challenge what he was doing. So even from the religious leaders of his day, there's increasing opposition. There's there's this horrific experience of being rejected by your own people. Now, you can't blame that on the religious leaders. His own townsfolk rejected him in Nazareth. So what do you do? What did he do? Jesus withdrew. Jesus withdraws, right? Why? Well, I suggest if you look in Matthew 14 and 15, you'll see it. For a more personal time with God. He, as opposition increases, it became more critical for him not to rely on his humanness. He was completely human, but to rely on an intimate relationship with God. So he, he withdrew occasionally by himself, but he also withdrew with his disciples several times in those chapters for, for more personal time with God. But he also withdrew for more personal time with his disciples. With his disciples, right? You see, um, as the heat is being turned up on Jesus, Jesus is, is uh, revealing a pattern of ever-increasing discipleship as well. What do I mean by that? To make disciple is to make someone who is like you, someone who can multiply your heart, who can multiply your passion, who can um, multiply the ministry that you are doing. Um, not just ever-increasing opposition, but the pattern in Matthew 14 and 15 is also ever-increasing discipleship. Even if the world doesn't understand him, his disciples must, right? Or at least... They must remember what he has said and done. They must remember. How many times did you read in scripture? Okay, that's why he said what he said. We remembered it, but we didn't understand it at the time. Even if the world doesn't understand him, his disciples must or at least remember what he said and done. And remember that from Genesis 12 on, the purpose of God Revealing himself and blessing us is so that we would then be a blessing to all people groups, to all ethnos, to all the world, right? Well, um, with ever-increasing discipleship comes this key part of their training. And, and that is how will you respond to the needs of those around you? So with ever-increasing opposition and with ever-increasing discipleship, Matthew 14, you'll see the same pattern again in Matthew 15, comes ever-increasing compassion, the ability to enter into and alleviate the sufferings of others. And about now you're saying, how can I possibly alleviate the sufferings of others? Let me just throw that question right back at you, follower of Jesus, right? Person who's been entrusted with the power of the Holy Spirit to teach and to proclaim and to heal, to cast out demons, right? Jesus has given you that power. It's his power expressing itself in you. You have the ability to step in 
and alleviate sufferings. Great tragedy took place a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago, I think, in our city. It was, it was horrific. It was horrific, and it was so cool yesterday to hear of of followers of Jesus who were gathering around the family that the the tragedy took place. They weren't related. They didn't go to the same church. They were just followers of Jesus, 20-plus of them. They came and just gathered around this family. It was such great tragedy, right? They They were there to alleviate the suffering of others. Wow. So what does Jesus do? There's this pattern set of ever-increasing opposition, ever-increasing discipleship, ever-increasing compassion. What does he do? He leaves the country. He leaves the country. Well, that just kind of kills everything you just said, Pastor Dave, right? He just escapes. He just he just runs away, right? He, he takes his disciples. They walk 60 miles to get away from trouble. Does that sound like the Jesus that you know? Well, why did he leave? That's the $24 question before inflation, right? That's the question. Why did, was it to escape from people or was it to encounter someone? That brings us to our our story today. It was a very troubling encounter on every, in every sense of the word, it was troubling. Worship team, if you'd make your way back up. Uh, Why? Because he encounters a desperate woman, right? And it's clear that she's a desperate woman. She is praying desperate prayers. And, and this is a desperation that I have not ever known. I have, have experienced people who I've seen people who had demon possession. I've seen those kinds of things. I've seen the power, but I've not lived with it like she was living with it, right? A desperate woman who prays desperate prayers. But Jesus says, possesses great faith. Great faith. Now remember, she's a Canaanite. We just don't have time today, but that word should spark all kinds of feelings in you. Um, um, they were going to Sidon, that word. Remember our study of Elisha? Uh, when he went and, and to the woman who was uh, on her last little ounce of oil, right? She was in Sidon. She was in the birthplace of Jezebel. She was, she was in this place that represented to the world every Every errant human uh, indication, every errant human leaning, right? He he took them into the gates of hell, right? And encounters there this this desperate woman whose daughter is possessed by a demon, right? But understand that that just because someone's not an Israelite doesn't mean they're not open and sensitive to the things of God. The scripture calls them God-fearers. They didn't cross the line. They wouldn't cross the line. They could conceivably. You'll encounter them all the time. They may they may focus on their um, faith of origin. They may be, come from Muslim backgrounds, from Hindu backgrounds, they come from secular backgrounds. Um, uh, they, they haven't crossed the line. They haven't surrendered to the saving grace of Jesus Christ, but they fear God. 
right? There are many God-fearers who could not or would not make the leap of faith to surrender their lives to the living God, but who respected the Jews, who worshipped God from afar. And I love it that God even created a place for them in the temple. The outer court of the temple was for people like that. People that did not become Jews, but still worshipped and were risking following the truths that the Jews had. What what about this? We've got a woman who's praying desperate prayers, but she possesses great faith. What, What about her faith was remarkable, right? Surprise, surprise. We've been learning about prayer. It was a humble faith. It was a humble faith. She cried out for help. She cast herself at the feet of people who were seemingly rejecting her. Right? And she did it over and over again. It was not only a humble faith, but it was a persistent faith. She would not give up. The disciples got exasperated. Do something with this woman, would you, Jesus? Oh, my goodness. And Jesus takes two huge steps. And I wasn't sent for Canaanite women, right? I wasn't sent. What is he doing? Oh, I wanted so much to insert my personal opinion right here, right? I want so much to do that. And I'll give you a hint of it in just a moment. But but I think it's good to wrestle. Jesus, what are you doing? <laughs> There's a person in real need right before you, and you're saying, not my job? Um, it looks terrible, right? But, but his terrible response elicits a wonderful reaction from the woman, right? She, she drops, she drops the, the Jewish language. She's one of two non-Jews who used that uh, son of David. It was a messianic title. I don't know if she clearly believed he was the Messiah or she just like, like the beggars before had learned that this is, might be the key to getting his attention. Say son of David, right? Seems to work for other people. I don't know. But I know the second time she dropped that title and just said what Peter said falling out of the boat. Help. Help me. She fell at his feet and cried, help me, Jesus, right? And so he comes back and says, it's not right to give to the dogs what rightfully belongs to the children. What a woman, right? Kathy, you're a pretty strong little person, amen? Amen? Um, Woo! I can think of a thousand creative things that you might have done right there in that situation, right? Um, wow. Instead, she takes his answer and, and agrees with it and takes it to the fullest extent of the truth that it held, right? He says it's not right to give to the, to the dogs what belongs to the children. By the way, I have smart dogs at my home. We don't have disciplined dogs, but we have smart dogs. They just hang out under there, right? And you forget they're there, and all of a sudden something brushes by your foot in the middle of dinner, and you realize they're they're prowling down there. And they pretty, pretty quickly figure out who's going to drop the most things from their plate and hang out by that person. That's why I have, it's a two-dog night at my house. I have, I have two dogs sitting at my feet every time I eat, right? Um, 
And it's not right to take food out of my children or grandchildren's mouths, right, and give it to the dogs. Um, But the woman wisely says, yes, Lord, but even the dogs get the crumbs that fall from the master's table. I don't know for sure, beloved, um, but I suspect, and this is Dave, completely Dave right now, but I suspect that the reason Jesus traveled 60 miles with his disciples was not to get away from anyone because he never, he never was afraid to speak truth to shine light in dark places. My suspicion was that the reason that he walked 60 miles with his disciples was to be with someone, to show them uh, what a person of faith looked like. And it breaks my heart, but that he had to go outside the people of God to find someone with this great a faith. He will do it two or three more times in our journey in Matthew. He He will go outside the faith to find faith. Beloved, are you at a point of desperation? Know that God is sovereign, right? He's aware of your circumstances. Know that even if he delays the answer, it's not because... He's not compassionate. It's not because he won't enter into your suffering. He left heaven to come to earth to enter into your suffering. But the purpose is to grow in you a great faith. A great faith. So what will you do, right? What will you do? Will you just steal yourself and say, if you're not going to do it my way, God, I don't want anything to do with you. Will you just steal yourself against him? I like this this amazing Canaanite woman. Will you humble yourself? Will Will you continue to cry out? Will you fall at his feet and believe that he wants your best. Oh God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the incredible teaching passages in it, God, where we we hear truth, just naked truth revealed to us. But I thank you, I thank you, God, especially for the people of of Scripture who reveal what this looks like lived out in our lives. And I I think of those who are in desperate situations right now and and pray that you might grant hope, God, that even those circumstances don't appear to be changing, you're doing something much greater than we could have ever asked or imagined. And honestly, God, I pray especially for, for those who aren't desperate, who are very comfortable God and and who have um, gotten to that place where they're depending only on themselves. Gently, gently, Holy Spirit, peel our white knuckle grip away from the controls of our lives. Grant God that we might that we might say to you, be lifted high in my life, in my world, in my love. God, be lifted high. 
And God, we will believe that as we surrender to you, that you'll grant us far beyond all that we could have ever asked or imagined. You'll invite us into intimacy with you. So God, even as we worship you right now, release us, God. We ask in Jesus' name.